Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And today I want to talk to you about navigating with promises. Navigating life with promises. Is that all right? Someone say it with me, navigating. People say, Mark, why do you read the Bible if you've read it more than one time? Why do you keep reading it? I want you to know that when you read the Bible, the Bible does not change. But the reason why we continue to read it and reread it is because our lives do. And when you read Bible verses about storms when you're in a blue sky season, it doesn't mean the same. But when you go through a lack season or a trying season, when you read verses, you get something different. You follow me today? So I'm going to open up a pretty familiar passage if you've been in church, grew up in church, if you went to Sunday school. How do you know if you went to Sunday school, you'll finish this. Father Abraham had those are the Sunday school people right there. So we are going to read today out of Matthew 14, and I want to talk to you about how God's promises help us navigate uh, turbulent seasons. Uh, you know what's interesting about storms is storms are created because of different pressure. And they're created, even in the Sea of Galilee, they were, it was notorious. I'm going to read about one of the storms on the Sea of Galilee that blew in, and it came from an east wind that was cold from the mountains that collided with a hot tropical wind from the sea. And wherever you see tropical hot wind and cold mountain wind, there is always a, a storm, a tempest, even as Paul talks about Acts 27, a Euroclidon that actually creates a gnarly climate. And I believe right now in America, in the world, I believe that politically, I believe economically, I believe when it pertains to most of what's happening right now, we have extreme hot air colliding with extreme cold air. We have godlessness and godliness colliding. We have far left and far right colliding. We have, we have a war of economic wars going on, physical things going on. And storms are a byproduct of hot and cold colliding. And I believe that if you don't navigate storms properly, hot and cold colliding also creates lukewarm. And that's one thing we do not want to be is we do not want to be hot sometimes and cold other times. Come on, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Come on. You can give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, give me something. Telling you that God wants us to be able to navigate storms, seasons, with, with wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it talks about storm or seasons of life, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to go to war and a time to, to love. There's 28 seasons in Ecclesiastes. The one season you will not find in your study of it is a season to quit. I believe it is always too soon to give up. Are you hearing me today? And so I'm going to try my best to, uh, to open this up to you in Matthew chapter 14. Again, I'm going to read 11 verses. And uh, we're going to talk about navigating, navigating storms or navigating life by, by God's promises. So it says this in verse 22, chapter 14. Are you ready to go? Are you guys with me today? It says this, immediately Jesus made his disciples. What did he, he, he made them. He made them get into a boat, go before him to the other side. He sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to, say with me, pray. So what was Jesus doing? He was, all right, this is right after they fed 5,000 people. So he's praying on a mountain. Now when evening came, he was alone there. 
But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. It was tossed. Say, say with me, middle. You ever notice that God doesn't wait until you're like two feet off the shore for a storm? Somehow God waits until you are the furthest distance from human help to kind of intervene. You ever been there before? Interesting. They're in the middle of the sea being tossed by the waves. For the wind was contrary. The wind was... I couldn't get away from this this week when I was praying. Why we need to know the promises of God. We are living in a advantageous season of contrary wind. Wind is beating on us. It's blowing against us. You ever felt like that before? It's like, man, why is everybody mad at everybody? Why is everybody so divided? Why? It's like the big narrative, the, the, the mega na narrative of right now is we're trying to polarize people in such a way that we stop caring about them. We are trying to dehumanize other people that are made in the image of Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus loves people that don't vote like you, don't look like you, don't have the same color as your skin. Jesus loves people that don't live in your gated neighborhood or live in your apartment. Are you hearing me today? Jesus, he, he's, he's not like us. He's, he's greater. And um, so what we see here is uh, it says... That the, that the storm, there was a contrary wind. Now, the fourth watch of the night, which is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus went to them walking on the sea. He went to them. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's Patrick Swayze. No, no, it's a ghost. It's for the older people. They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to the, on the water. Jesus said to him, come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he actually walked, took some steps on water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind that was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out. He said, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. He said to him, where is your faith? Little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped immediately. Then those who were in the boat, everyone that was in the boat, began to worship him, saying, truly, he is the Son of God. I want to pray today. I want to talk to you about navigating, navigating with it. Is that all right? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity we have together. We thank you that, Lord, the sound system came back online. We thank you that the Lakers beat the Clippers. And we thank you that we are in the middle of a revival tent summer. I pray today, Lord, I know it's a little bit warm, so I pray today that we get on the edge of our seats. I thank you that we're not looking to learn something from a man. We're, we're expecting to encounter something from our God. So, Lord, would you meet us today? Would you stir our faith, raise our faith, and bless this week? In Jesus' name, if you believe it, come on, someone shout amen. 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 Who's old enough to remember MapQuest? Thirteen people remember MapQuest. MapQuest was pre-Garmin. It was pre-map, uh, it was pre-Siri. You didn't have some voice, come on, just massaging your directions to you, saying, slight right coming up. Stay in the eighth lane from the center. What does that mean? Before Siri, we had MapQuest. Can I get an amen? And you were in a dire scenario if you were on a road trip and you did not have a printer. To print out your MapQuest directions. This is wild. We grew up in an era that you better print those things off. You better put them somewhere you are, they're safe in the vehicle. Because you'll be in the middle of Nevada on a road trip, and it could be life or death. 
If you didn't know about MapQuest, we had these things. Come on, young people, follow me today. You can Wikipedia this later. Called Map Books. Who remembers Map Books? Where are my old people at? Map Books. You go to Walmart, you buy a book that was thicker than the Bible. It had every state, it had grids. No one knew how to use them. There was no blue dot that said, You are here. Just kind of looking. It was like hieroglyphics. Come on, somebody. I needed Rosetta Stone to read that thing. I, I remember map books, and then, uh, and, then, and then if you were in a dire situation, back in the day, gas stations would actually sell. Who remembers maps? Let's pour a little bit out. Come on, for maps. Come on. Not here with us anymore. They're gone. You used to get maps. They were the size. They were, they were folded. They were compact. They were this big. But you could open them up. They would, they could also, they would double as a parachute. They would be the size of this canopy when you open them up. And no one in the history of creation has ever properly refolded a map. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like a rocket science degree to fold this map. I remember going on a road trip. I got invited to go to Bend, Oregon from Boise, Idaho to speak at a uh, conference. I brought three of the guys with me. One of them was Joel Faust. Love Joel Faust. He's a local celebrity here at Oceans. And... Uh, Jay Faust was with me, and uh, he was young. I was young. I was, I was younger than I am now. I'm, I'm 36. I look 35. I'm 36. And um, 2016, four years ago, I was uh, I was driving to Bend. I was really tired. I got I, I was I think I came off of a trip, and uh, we left a road trip in the morning from Boise. I gave them my phone with the map navigation pulled up, and true story. This is before the Lord's true story. I wasn't as Christian as I am now. Just a little precursor. Uh, I need to kind of just prep you. I was a little bit fired up. But I fell asleep for about four hours. I, I was in the back seat. I gave my phone to Joel and the driver. And Joel's faithful. Like, Joel's reliable. Joel's like Teflon. Come on, somebody. He's bulletproof. This guy is just dependable. He's like, come on, Goodyear tires. Come on, somebody. He's, this is my guy. And uh, so I thought, we are good. He's, he's going to lead us to glory. I fell asleep. I woke up hearing talk about Seattle, Washington. I woke up, you ever like had that panic wake up? You just, you went from deep sleep to like, we're in trouble right away. And I'm like, what, what's going on? They said, I think we missed the turn a while back. I said, I gave you the directions, guys. I got to be there. I'm supposed to be there at a certain time. So literally, this is what happened. I, I don't usually do illustrations, but come on, here's my Ed Young interpretation right here. Uh, that was where we were. We were halfway to Canada. I said, guys, we were supposed to turn like three hours ago. It added almost three hours, almost three hours to our drive. To say that I was a little bit muffled would be a little bit of an understatement. So I love Joel. I was merciful, but I just thought, you know what? If, look, I'm not going to do anything mean, but I am going to do a social media post. Because in 2016, we didn't cuss. Come on, somebody. We use hashtags. Are you following me? So I did some hashtags. This is my Instagram post right here. I said, that one time we took, I took a nap and Joel Faust was in charge of navigating. Hashtag, worst navigator on the earth. Hashtag, we are the blue dot. Hashtag, extra two and a half hours. Hashtag, Faust fail. Hashtag, gas lunch and dinner on Faust. Hashtag, we're coming, Ben. Hashtag, stopping in Canada. Hashtag, angry hashtags. Hashtag, unfollow him. Hashtag, he's Ubering home. Hashtag, I left him at Chevron. Hashtag, thought the Rocky Mountains would be more rocky. 
I wasn't as mature. I wasn't a lead pastor yet. It's irritating when you're trying to get somewhere and you miss a turn. It's discouraging when you take a longer route than is needed. And I believe right now, because we are in such a crazy climate right now, there's trouble on all sides. It's amazing. We, we see trouble here and there, and you wake up every morning, and you're like, who's fighting on the Internet today? And we're in this divided, this, this irritated world. And to be honest, I, I meet many people that think that, man, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to avoid storms. But what we know is, is that a, a Jesus-centric life is not a storm-absent life. Jesus said in John 16, that in this world, you're going to have some troubles, but it's okay, right? He said another, no, no, he said, he said, I have overcome the world. And so we see here that storms land on everybody. They land on righteous people like Job. It's Job, people, come on. It landed on Job. It, he was a righteous guy. There's storms that hit people that did everything right and we, we see here that the disciples actually listened to God. He was the one that made them get into the boat. They were in the middle of what Jesus asked them to do when they hit the storm. You ever been there before? You ever been in a scenario or a season of your life that you're actually doing what God asked you to do, but you still feel like you are in the middle of a storm? I didn't know we were going to start a church right before a pandemic hits. It wasn't on my game plan. But the Lord reminded me that a smooth ocean has never created a skilled sailor. He reminded me that ships are safe in harbors, but they were not built for harbors. Can I get an amen? And we are navigating storm right here, right now. And there's different types of storms that we all face. I don't care how old or how young you are. There are different types of storms. There are self-inflicted storms. You ever been there before? Drank too much, borrowed too much. Hung out with the wrong crowd like Jonah. I was running from where I was supposed to be. And self-inflicted storms are usually allowed by God for corrective reasons. Are you following me? God prepared a well before Jonah prepared to disobey. And we know that God is a God that even when we make bad decisions has a plan to get us back. Man, that's a good spot for an amen right there. I'm telling you that we serve a God that before you made a bad decision, he made a way, thought of a path to get you back to where he wants you to be. That's a good God right there. There are self-inflicted storms that are for corrective reasons. And then there's also God allowed or God permitted storms. People say, does God make bad things happen? No, God does not cause bad things, but he does allow things. It's called his permissive will. And God would allow certain things to happen, not for corrective reasons, but for per perfective reasons. You see, the Bible teaches that there are some storms that we go through that actually perfect our faith. James said it best. He said, count it all the joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete. What's it say? Lacking. So we know that God is a God that perfects us because he allows things. That disciples launched out at God's word. They weren't Jonah escaping God. They were his disciples obeying him. They did everything right and still went headfirst into a storm. Storms land on the obedient as often as they land on the diabolical. Are you hearing me? 
The Bible does not promise a world that has no pain and no sorrow and no tears. It promises a life after this one that's like that. Come on, can I get an amen? And so we see here that, that they follow God, but they're in a storm. I want to just make this little observational note real quick. It is safer to be in God's will in a storm than it is to be outside of his will on the land. There is a divine paradox A.W. Tozer speaks about that's, that's the will of God is simultaneously the safest while being the most dangerous place you can leverage your life. There's something about surrendering your heart and your livelihood and your life to God that is the safest, but it's also dangerous. Someone say, God's not safe. What do you mean? A little 16-year-old redhead homeschooler named David who's barefoot, who's a little musician, come on, a little emo musician with his harp, charging down a hillside at a nine-foot Goliath, possessed by faith in his God. That was the safest place to be in that moment, but it was simultaneously the most dangerous place. Are you hearing me? God's will is safe, but it's also risky. Can, can I get an amen? Are you following me today? And so we see here that in, in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 and John 6, it tells a story about this storm that, that is a byproduct of cold air and warm air colliding. And these guys, these poor guys, they're listening to God, and they make it three or four miles out to sea. It's only a five-mile crossing. It should have taken them about an hour and 15 minutes to make it across this, this channel. But a storm kicks up right as they get going, and they're three hours into rowing against the wind. Contrary, opposing. The word contrary literally means antagonistic or opposite. You know what opposing wind is? You know what contrary wind is? It means you're facing opposite antagonistic forces. You ever felt like that before in your marriage, your family, your kids? You ever said, we're going to church today, and then all hell breaks loose? Who's been there before? I'm telling you that God is a God that actually does some of his greatest work when we are facing headwinds. Can I get a good amen? So here's what we know is that Jesus wanted, he actually wanted to come, but he waited until they were the furthest distance from the land to actually intervene, to interject. Human hope had kind of dissipated, and they were in this dire scenario but to their credit, they didn't stop. They persisted. Are you with me? They persisted. So here's what we know. There's three enemies when we face storms. I want you to write these down with me today. Three enemies. The first enemy that will taunt you when you are facing inclement weather is the enemy called fear. Fear tries to convince you that there's no way out. Fear tries to convince you that you're not going to make it, that death is imminent, that there's no hope for your marriage, that your kids will never come back to God. It's this lie that says the best days of my business, the best days of my finance, the best days of my creativity, my best days of health. It's all in the rearview mirror. Fear will tell you about a future that, that is, it lies to you about what hasn't happened yet. You know that fear lies about your future, about what hasn't happened yet, like faith gets you to believe for your future that hasn't happened yet. Do you know that faith and fear are both rooted in what hasn't happened yet? So we see here that fear is that they were all scared in the storm. And when you're fearful long enough, what happens next is it starts, it starts leading to the second enemy called fatigue. Most of us identify a stupid thought, a bad idea, 
a low moment decision. We, we know, like, that's not what I want to do. That's not who I am. But the devil is so persistent, the darkness is so persistent that it'll keep pestering you until you get so tired of trying, so tired of hours of rowing to contrary wind that eventually if fear lands long enough and fatigue settles in, it leads to this diabolical last enemy called doubt. Jesus told Peter, why are you doubting? Why'd you start doubting now? Do you not know that I'm the God that actually can be taken at his word? Doubt is this idea, and here's where doubt lives. It lives in three words. Where is God? When those disciples were rowing against the wind at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know what they were all thinking? Where in the world is God? Some of you are watching right now online, or you're in this tent going, man, I am bedridden. I am diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I, I, I'm quarantined right now. I'm, I just got laid off of work. My, I just got served papers. We might have to file bankruptcy. Where is God? And I want you to know that God is always on his way. And here's what we know. It is a very, very clean, clear answer. I want to give it to you right now. Whenever doubt arises that says, where is God? I want you to stand on this promise. Number one, God is praying for me. Where was he at? Matthew 14, what's it say? Verse 23. He was on the mountaintop praying for them. The word praying is the word intercessor. It means to actually passionately submit a request about a specific situation or person. Jesus was interceding for people in the middle of their storm. Romans 8.34 says, During storms, Jesus is at the presence of the right hand of the throne of God, praying for you and for me by name. The reason why some of you feel hope starting to turn on inside of you is because there is a God in heaven right now calling your name right now before the Father in the throne room of God's throne. I'm telling you that we serve a God that prays for us, that we might be facing the wind and the waves, but we do not face it without God's prayers. We do not face it without God's hope. We do not face it without God's, come on, belief that he is with us, he is for us. He was getting, his robe was soaked, his hair was wet, he was getting pelted by rain on the mountain at the very moment that his disciples were struggling in the storm. You see, the disciples have been in the storm before in Matthew chapter 8. But in Matthew 8, Jesus was in the boat. He was sleeping, but he was in the boat. In this storm, they, they're in, Jesus is not in their boat. And they start asking, where is Jesus? Some of you were asking, where is Jesus? Isaiah 43, 2 says it this way. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. We serve a God that promises to actually lead us, guide us in the midst of storm. Some of you would say, well, Mark, if God was praying for me, wouldn't there be no storms in my life? No, there will be a, a time in your life that there will be no storms, but it's not on this side of eternity. Some of you say, well, Mark, what about pain? What about sorrow? What about sickness? We live in a fallen world. And the reason why there's evil in the world is because God chose love. If God was to disregard love, he would disregard free will. If free will left, there would be perfect utopia in the world. But God knew that love and free will could not exist without one another. That the only way that we could choose God was to give us free will. And in giving us the greatest privilege in humanity, which is to choose to love Jesus... He simultaneously opened up the door for us to choose to not love him. And if God was to deal with sin in the world, darkness in the world, where would he start? Where would he stop? Would he stop at the murder level? 
Would he stop at devastating and dealing with pedophilia and, and dealing with rapists and murderers and this, that? Does he deal with treacherous sins like that? Or would he have to go all the way to the root of our hearts, to our minds, to our thoughts? You see, if Jesus was to deal with sin in totality, he'd have to get rid of all of us. Because sin resides maybe not in action levels, but in thinking levels in all of humanity. Good spot for an amen right there. So we see this, that he, he comes, he comes in our storms, and he's sovereign over storms. I want, you to, I want you to write this down, is that we know about Jesus. Number one, how do you navigate through storms? Number one, we stand on the promise by remembering that he brought me here. I want to remind you, the Bible says that he who begun a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. I want to remind the disciples in this moment, hey guys, it's okay, we're going to be okay. Jesus told you to cross. And when you have a word from God, we wage. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.8 that we wage the good warfare on words that were previously spoken. People say, Mark, what do you do when you're in a storm? Here's very simple advice. You do and you keep doing the last thing Jesus told you. Are you following me? Like, 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 your GPS. It, you ever been on a highway? It says, stay on this highway for 300 miles. And it goes mute. That little joker was talking the whole time. Siri was a big mouth all through the city. But the moment we got on the open road, she was mute. And here's what I've learned about God. God speaks when we need a word. God speaks when we need the next step. God speaks when there is a directional change coming. And we want words all the time. And some people are obsessed with the prophetic. And they, they want to be prophetic more than they want Jesus. And I'm saying, listen, God speaks when we need a word. He speaks when we need to turn. He gives us directions when we're at critical cross. Are you hearing me today? And I'm telling you today that God brought me here. And that instills a confidence and a faith that I'm going to wage the good warfare on what he already said. And I'm going to stand on the last word until he gives me a... Anybody in the room know what I'm talking about it here? Number two is I'm not only going to be a God that... Uh, follow God and, and stand on his promises that he brought me here. I'm going to remind myself that he is praying for me. I believe that taking courage, we do that by persisting in prayer in times of contrary winds. Can you imagine if we were going through like this some crazy, something crazy kind of happened in this tent right here, but right there Jesus was sitting on the front row? How many of there be a peace knowing that he's praying for us here, but he's right there? I want you to know that maybe we're not in a physical storm, and maybe Jesus is not on a physical mountain praying for all of us disciples, but I do believe that we are in a storm in our society, but I do believe that God is sitting on the throne in his mountaintop praying for all of us today by name. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Third thing we know is, is that not only will he pray for me, but he is a God that will come to me. He will come to me. What do you do when everything's being shaken? Good question. Here's what you do. Write this down. You focus on what's unshakable. I am convinced. Again, I'm, every couple of years, we'll have new presidents, we'll have new governors, we'll have new mayors, we'll have new... In some churches you go to, there's new pastors like every six months. 
There's change everywhere. Teachers change. Come on. Uh, local dignitary. All that stuff changes. Gyms can change. Uh, restaurants can change. People come in. People go out. There is a lot of changing things in our world. What do you do in storms is you focus on the unshakable fixtures. Here's what we know. It says this in a, it, I love this verse. It's so powerful in Hebrews. It talks about, it talks about Hebrews 12, 28, that we can have hope that won't be shaken. Set your heart and your eyes on receiving his kingdom that cannot be shaken. What do you do in storms is you focus on the one that doesn't shake. And I want to remind some of you, you focus more on your 401k or your Roth IRA or retiring than you do about your eternity. I do not want to spend this life planning more for retirement than I do for eternity. I want to live this life. I want to leverage this life to not only aim here, but to aim, come on, there. Many people are settling for what's here and what's now. And I want to remind you today that we have to focus on what is coming and what is unshakable. And finally, the last couple of the band comes up here is I want to focus on this a reality that he will, he will come to me. And number four, he will, he will help me grow. I want you to know, I do believe that God, God is a God that always gives us a way of escape. And if there's things that are mounting against you, the Bible I read says that when darkness comes in like a flood, God always elevates a standard. God says that where sin abounds, that his grace, his strength abounds even more. That's why I know he's not done with California. Because where the sin, the darkness abounds in this state, God's grace, according to Paul, is even stronger. God does some of his best work in bad odds. God bets on people that no one else bets on. Samuel goes, it has to be Eliab. This guy is good looking, he's tall, he's got to be the king. God rebukes this prophet Samuel. He says, I don't choose people the way that you do. I don't look at outward appearance. I don't look at what's going on on the outside. I look at the potential of what could be on the inside. We serve a God that actually likes bad odds. Write this down. You plus God are always the majority power. See, we live in a democratic republic. And so we think that our vote matters, and it does. And please vote when the time comes. And everyone said amen. But I want to remind you that our kingdom that's eternal is not a democratic republic. It is a kingdom. And we have a king. And no one voted him in, and no one is voting him out. He is a God that rules, that reigns, that's sovereign. Are you hearing me today? And we have more faith in temporary politics and politicians than we do in an eternal king who sits on an eternal throne. Are you hearing me today? We serve a God that will come to us and help us grow. So I say like Peter, fill my boat. What do you do when you're in a storm? Say, Jesus, I ask you. Fill my boat, fill my marriage, fill my mind, fill my body, fill my children. You know what God wants to do? He wants to fill your boat. When did the storm stop? It stopped when Jesus filled the boat. And I'll tell you, when he fills your boat, some of you are going to experience this right here now as we get ready to close, is when he brings peace out of chaos and he brings joy out of pain, See, we, we think that, man, being a Christian is like this storm-free life. Psalms 30 verse 5 says that weeping can endure for the night. We live in a world that weeps, but we serve a God that can turn weeping. It says joy comes. Do you know why joy comes in the morning seasons of life? Because Jesus came out of the grave. 
And if he can get out of graves, clothes in a tomb, he has the power to resurrect us out of darkness. Some of you, you got to get this today. I'm telling you, man, that we serve a God. Why do you get excited? Because God has the power to renew us. He has the power not only to renew us, but to redeem us. He has the power to regenerate us. And his resurrection power one day will get us out of the grave. I'm telling you that, that if this is fake, we're all here for no reason sweating. Preaching to my underwear what today? Come on, somebody. Dirty. I'm telling you this is all for nothing. But if God is in these tents and he's watching right now with you online in, in your house, then I want you to know that he has a resurrection power. You see, to renew means to restore or to replenish. To redeem means to buy back. It means to clear the payment, to recover, to regenerate. Check this out, America. We need this one today. It means that God has the power to completely morally reform us. You know why? I, I think there's an agenda for churches not to meet. You know what it is? Is that when you remove the church from society, the church is the conscience of every civilization. And if you remove the church, there's no morality. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no in. There's no out. There's no light, there's no darkness, it's just, it's chaos, it's anarchy. And I want you to know that in, throughout history, churches were built in the center of city centers. They would actually, they would plan, they would plan layouts of cities based upon churches, schools, and, and, and the, the civic center in every city throughout, throughout our history. And now we build these master plan communities that are beautiful with lakes and gates, but no churches. I tell you today that the church is the pillar and it's the ground of truth. And if you can disregard the gathering of believers, listen, church is not a building. It is the gathering of believers. It is the gathering of faith. And when we get together, something supernatural begins to shift. We serve a God that does the impossible. He was so human that he could touch people, but he was so divine that he could heal them. He was so human that he spoke with an accent but he was so heavenly that he spoke with authority. He was so human that he could blend in for 30 years, but he was so divine that we would talk about him for 2,000 years afterwards. We serve a God that was all man and all God. Because of Jesus was human, he understands you, but because he was divine, he can help you. And here's what we know is that he walks out to where we are and he helps us grow. He calms the wind. And I'll be honest with you, when you see an addiction break off of your life, when you see God heal something that was inhealable, some, cure something that was incurable, I want you to know, like the disciples, point five, he will cause you to worship. Do you know what the organic response of a miracle is? It is adoration. It, it, you, they said, truly, you are the son of God. No one, no one stops wind. No one stops sea waves. And when you see his power on display, I promise you, friend, you'll do exactly what the early church did, is you'll begin to worship. Some of you come late to service because you're like, I don't like the music part. I like the good part, the message. Listen, worship is what touches God. Worship is the part of the service that's all about him. This is for us, but worship is for him. And I want you to know, some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't like to do that. I don't, I'm not a good singer. Well, neither am I. Come on, singing's easy. It's like talking. You just raise your voice. Come on, up and down. We sing all the time and then we're full. Come on. From the, sorry, that's from the movie. 
We sing, not because we have good voices. We sing because we've experienced the goodness of God. And when you've seen His power at work in your life, something begins to well up inside of you. God, you're so good. God told me that there was someone in here today that God was going to heal, uh, even, even uh, morally. You've been on the brink, or maybe you might have even crossed over the fence and maybe having an affair. God loves you so much today. Not only is He going he's gonna, to he's gonna help you navigate out of it, to, to share what's going on, to come clean with darkness, but he's actually going to do a miracle in your marriage. I heard him. I heard him. I was praying last night. He said, there's people that you think there's no hope for your marriage. You think it has to stay. And listen, skeletons are for clothes. Uh, excuse me, closets are for clothes and for vacuum cleaners. Some of you say, I have skeletons that I'm, I'm going to take to the grave with me. Jesus went to the grave so that you don't have to take your shame to the grave. And God is going to heal some of you. He's going to raise some of you up. He's going to get some of you out of these dark habits, perpetual. Some of you are pathological liars. And some of you have this darkness you just, you just harbored in your life. And I felt God say that regeneration idea. He said, Mark, the church, it's the hour, it's the time. Keith Green, he's a famous guy that used to live uh, back in this area back in the day. And he was famous for this idea of no compromise. And I believe that before every great revival, there was a hunger in the hearts of God's people that say, God, deal with any compromise. I believe in a gospel that makes us not only grateful, it makes us godly. We have many people that are grateful for the gospel, but they're not becoming like Jesus. And the true gospel will make us want to be like him. Jesus is in the purity, I'm in the purity. If Jesus isn't in the porn, I don't want to be in the porn. Jesus isn't in the pills, I'm not in the pills. Jesus isn't into getting drunk all the time. I'm not into getting drunk all the time. Are you hearing me today? I'm into what he's into. I'm ordering what he's ordering. And I believe in Orange County, we're going to hear this message that God wants to take us higher. AA is great. I believe in AA. But, man, I love the moments that God sovereignly heals people. When I was 18 years old, I cussed like a sailor. I had a, I had a filthy vocabulary. I spent 18 years of my life developing it. And I was in Idaho when I was 18, and my first encounter with Jesus, the power of his presence hit me. It actually was so strong, it took me to my knees. I remember weeping on the ground. Some of you never had an encounter like that. I'm telling you, it's not for me. It's for anyone that wants it. And as I wept on the ground, spiderweb tears and snot. Who knows what I'm talking about? Nasty, ugly cry. You been there before? Ugly crying in the presence of God. I got up off that ground. I felt like God cleaned my heart out. He removed my app. I'm, I, I've sinned since then, for sure. But I'll be honest with you, since that moment, I've lost my appetite, my desire, and even my vocabulary to cuss. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I'm just saying my story is this. I've seen God heal in process, but I've also sensed and I've experienced His power that heals sovereignly. And listen to me, Orange County. We need a God that, yeah, He can lead us out little by little, but He can also lead us all of a suddenly, right at one time. Philip calling us higher today. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.